Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Ardana Asban, here with my friend and club, Ruta Ann Gordon. Our DAP today, Masach and Azir, DAP Lamed Zayed, page 37. Now, there's a lot to actually do in this DAP, and there's actually some very rich halachic material. And one of the things that we learned about is that Rabbi Akiva, based on this, uh, on the words from Nazir, Bechol Misharet, learns Lahatir Mitzaret Lisor, right? That the permitted combines with the forbidden. But the Gemara wants to know, how does Rabbi Akiva also know that even if it just gives flavor, right? Like you don't actually have the substance in that food item, the forbidden item, but it just gives the permitted item some type of sub, of, of flavor that also would be asur. And so the Gemara answers, He learns it uh, because from the laws of, milk, of meat and milk. Right? Because in that case, it's not just the mere flavor of milk, right? That, you know, is it not that if you just have the flavor of milk that it becomes, it's forbidden by the meat. So here too, that's also the same thing. So there's a specific thing with meat and milk that if meat somehow has the flavor of milk, that it also becomes a sore. And then he applies that uh, to other things. Now, just to give a little background about that, what the Torah actually makes asur, prohibits, is meat that's cooked in milk. And even if the meat is removed from the milk and only retains, only has the flavor of the milks, right? Then it goes on to explain the position of the rabbis, the rabbanan, right? And the rabbis, right? Who basically use this phrase of the chomisharet, right? Of being infused, right? So the question is, they learn this thing about flavor, from umisharet, why don't they learn it from meat and milk? And so it says here that we can't learn this from the laws of meat and milk because this law is a chiddush. And I was really interested when it said this, and this statement about chiddush is going to come up a lot. So chiddush would like literally translate into, I guess, into English, into like some type of novelty or some type of um, some type of innovation. Um, but what it means is, is that in a way, there's something unusual or different about this law about meat and milk. And therefore, any type of sort of stringency that the laws would have, you actually cannot extend to other types of prohibitions. Because it's just unique to meat and milk. Okay. And so then the Gemara basically wants to ask my Chidusha, what what's novel about it? You could say that the chiddush is, is that each component, meat and milk, by itself is permitted. It's the combination that's forbidden. So that's kind of interesting, right? That in other words, you take two items that are permitted, and it's somehow just their combination for no reason that the Torah gives becomes forbidden. Right. But actually, this isn't so unique because we have this concept of kilayim, right? Kilayim is, remember, is um, all types of prohibited mixtures, right? The most common one is, you know, that you can't, um, you know, plant different species together or you can't plow with two different animals together. Okay. So that also is a case of where you take two things that are permitted and you mix them together and they become a sore. Right, each part of the each component of the kilaim is permitted. Together, it's asur. So, what's the chiddush with basar v'chalav? What's the chiddush with meat and milk? 
right? That if meat is soaked in milk for a whole day, it can be permitted. But if you cook the meat in the milk, it is forbidden. So in other words, what it's saying is, is that meat that sits in milk for a whole day, it definitely absorbs some of the flavor of milk, right? As if it was cooked together. But what the Torah prohibits, it's not milk flavored meat, right? It's not meat that somehow tastes like milk, right? It only prohibits it if that flavor is given to the meat through cooking. Okay, now that's the deal, right? So obviously rabbinically, we still wouldn't be allowed to eat that meat. But the point is, according to the Torah it's, itself, it has to specifically be cooked together. And so that's the chiddush. It's that it's not about whether the meat tastes like milk. It's the process of how that flavor, right, was given to the meat. That is what is a sore. And that is what is actually the chiddush. Okay. So the Gemara goes on to ask here, Rabbi Akiva nami So the Gemara basically says, well, wait, wouldn't Rabbi Akiva also agree with this, that meat and milk is also a chiddush? And therefore, how can Rabbi Akiva come and learn his whole thing about flavoring from milk and meat, right? That's what the Gemara said. It's a chiddush. And so what it says, Rabbi Akiva learns it from milk and meat. But now we just spend a lot of time saying why it's a chiddush and maybe we shouldn't learn things from a chidush. So the Gemara says, no, it has to have another source from Rabbi Akiva where he would learn this from. He derives this idea that flavor is equal to the actual uh, substance itself from the laws of, um, I guess you would say like, I, I don't know how you want to translate Gi'ule. Some English should say like an emissions of utensils used by Ogdei Kochavim. The Amarachmana, right? The Pasuk says, and this is the Pasuk in Bamidbar, chapter 31, verse 23, right? And what it's talking about is if you have food utensils, here it's talking about the ones that were captured from somebody from Midjan, and it says, what? Kol davar right? anything that is used with fire, you basically have to pass through fire in order to clean it, right? Um, and that's what the halacha says there, which basically says that the emissions, anything that comes out of it, right? In other words, since the Torah is saying that all of these midgenite kalim utensils have to be sort of like, you know, purged of some way of their non-kosherness, right? Of that flavor before being used for the kosher food, it shows that basically the kosher food would ab- would absorb this type of non-kosherness, the flavor of non-kosherness from the kli, from the from whatever utensil it is, and then the kosher food would become asur. Okay, so lemeimar desur. It says that it's asur. asur. Now the question is: Wait, are really these types of emissions from these kalim used by? that maybe they're really like emissions and it's not talking about flavor. It's talking about the, an actual substance that was left on the cleat, not flavor, right? And it's still, right? But, um, you know, and is it still forbidden? Hachanami loshna. So here too with Nizirut, right? There's no difference. And flavor is forbidden just like substance, okay? So essentially what it basically says here is that any substance that would be absorbed in these non-kosher Kalim, right in these kalim of the Ogde Kochavim, even if it just gives flavor, the Gemara concludes that's a sore. And so we say, okay, the same would be true for Nazir as well. The Gemara then is going to go on to say why maybe this isn't actually the way that we should learn it. Um, but I thought this whole thing, you know, that I read previously about what the Chiddush is, you know, that the, the Gemara recognizes.
is that this prohibition of meat and milk is a very, very different type of food prohibition than any other type of food prohibition. And I appreciated that they took the time to actually sort of, you know, tease it out. And the first answer they give of like, you take two permitted things and the combination is forbidden really made a lot of sense. But, you know, they say, no, we, we have other precedent. That's exactly what, uh, that's exactly what key lime is. And so essentially, you know, they have to come to this conclusion that it's how it's combined. It's the process of cooking um, that is the chiddush. Because again, like why if you soaked it together, should it be less asur? It doesn't make sense. And so I think part of the concept of chiddush is, is that they don't say this explicitly, but it's almost like it's a law that there's nothing logical about it. It's just something that the Torah says. So I find it interesting, first of all, that we are kind of, and not for the first time, but in Nazir, kind of converging onto, I don't know what, the laws of kashrut, the laws of cooking, the laws of tarovet, which we, ve- mixtures, right, which we very often consider part of uh, basar bachalav, meat and milk, and, and here explicitly meat and milk, right, as compared to the grape stuff that we had before, I feel like I would not have expected this, or I did not think that it was going to, I just, maybe I should have thought about it, but the idea that there's so much convergence between, you know, the prohibited food for a Nazir and our more expansive prohibitions in Kashrut to begin with. We'll obviously talk much more about this when we get to Masachet Chulin, really a long time away. Um the rest of this daf does continue this question, though, not per se in Basra Bachav, not in the meat and milk, but in this idea of the combining of different foodstuffs, let's call them, and this idea, again, of, you know, mixtures and to what extent this mixture is going to be prohibited. So following on in the Gemara on, I'm a bet from where you left off, Amar le Rav Achabrid, Rav Avia le Rav Ashi. So Rav Ach says, Midrabanan nishmal Rabbi Akiva. So we can understand the a, a better understanding, I guess, of the opinion of Rabbi Akiva from the opinion of the rabbis. Meaning, love Amri Rabbanan Haim So and right away we're like in the concepts that are really um kashrut concepts. So it says the Gemara says, don't the rabbis say that when we talk about mishrat, this idea of something being soaked, right? Then what we're really talking is this principle that the flavor of that forbidden food is like the, you know, the same thing that's here in this in the mixture. And that's going to be apl- applicable not just to a nazir, but, you know, halacha in general for all of the prohibitions, right? And that's what, the, I'm sorry, I've explained ahead of myself. Lav Ari Rabbanan Haimi Shratli Tain Tam Ki Ikar. Tam Ki Ikar is a halachic principle in kashrut that means that the flavor ends up being like the main thing of the substance that you're eating. So if the ta'am, if the taste, if the flavor is coming from something that is prohibited, then it is, then that's kind of the essence of why the whole substance is going to be prohibited as opposed to, and we'll talk about this, you know, as I say, down the road, where different ta'amim, different flavors would be negated, it would be too little, it would be unpleasant, this kind of thing, where it won't, it won't, um, make the whole thing then prohibited. But Tom Kikar's this principle is literally, right, that the flavor is like the substance, I guess is the way we could translate that. And then, so what happens is when we apply that, you know, across the board to all of these prohibitions 
meaning again, ingestion, I guess, food prohibitions in the Torah. The idea that the fact that you have a, the flavor of the forbidden food is like the substance of the forbidden food. That's what I'm trying to say here. The idea that getting the taste, even if you didn't actually have much of the actual substance of the food, you don't have a kazayan of the amount of food, but the taste is left, that's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem for a nazir. It's going to be a problem in kashrut in general. The Rebbe Akiva, and this is the goal here of the Gemara, to explain Rebbe Akiva in a way that it likes better. The Rebbe Akiva nami, so, like, let's take Rabbi Akiva here, who takes this concept or the 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 term of soaked mishrat as is going to teach that the thing that is permitted is going to combine with the thing that is prohibited. Specifically, in this case, with regard to the nazir. So then, say again that we can derive from that the halacha as it applies to all the prohibitions of the Torah. Meaning, and therefore, again, you're going to have this question of a combination. To what extent is that going to, in fact, work to apply to all the prohibitions of the Torah? And the problem here is that it kind of counters the view of Rabbi Yochanan, because Rabbi Yochanan only wanted to put this together for Nazir, not for all the positions in the Torah. So Ravashi is going to answer this up. Amar Lei, so Ravashi says back to Ravacha, Bred Rav Avya, Mishum Dahave Nazir, Vachatachenik Tuvin. Ravashi is going to try to explain why why Rav Acha should not be reading Rabbi Kiva that way. He says you can't use this as a proof why that that this position from Nazir should apply to everything. Because the fact is we have the halacha of Nazir and the halacha of Chatat, right? We have two verses, Shneik Tuvim, two verses, Habaim Kecha, that come together. What does it mean they come together? They teach the same thing. And and the moment you have two verses that come to teach the same thing, we don't learn that same thing. What does that mean? It sounds kind of really dramatically counterintuitive, but there's a principle in learning or deriving halacha in general, which is that you know any verse that's going to teach a halacha concept, you then pretty much can extrapolate from it to other parallel comparable halacha concepts. Uh, situations. But what happens when you have two verses teaching the same thing, the the principles of deriving halacha explain that the moment you have two verses teaching that same thing, the the point of having two verses is to make it clear to you that you should not be extrapolating anything beyond the detail that is right there before you. Meaning, don't say, oh, we can ex- apply to all the prohibitions in the Torah. It's really only about nazir. Uh, you don't infer from it to other cases. Nazir had Amran. So then that applies for the Nazir, right? I mean, we, we understand then that the permitted substance and the forbidden thing can join together for the Nazir because it's learned from this term, Mishrat. But what about the Chatat, right? The, the Gemara wants to know where do we learn that the permitted thing to combines with the forbidden thing when it comes to the chata, because both of those verses still need to teach their own details. So the Gemara continues, So we've got a breita that teaches that the, the verse in Vayikra, Leviticus chapter 6, verse 20, anything that touches in its flesh should become holy. Yikdash will be consecrated. You might think that that means that when you have 
chulin. You have non-kosher, not I mean non-kosher, non-consecrated meat that touches some part of the, the chatat, the sin offering, then that would, in fact, perhaps that would also be considered consecrated, even if it didn't actually get the ta'am, even if it didn't even um, bala, even if it didn't absorb the taste of the korban chatat. Talmud Omar, therefore we learn instead, bifsara, the verse says explicitly, in its flesh. What does that mean, in its flesh? To teach that the meat is not consecrated, it is not considered uh, kodesh, yikdash, until you actually get the taste of the chata, the taste of the sin offering, to be absorbed into the flesh of the the meat itself. The Gebraita goes on, yikdash, what does it mean from the verse shall be consecrated, or will be consecrated? Liot kamoha, meaning that the same status that's, that, um, it's going to be like the chatat itself. It's going to be like the korban chatat. Namely, she'im sulahi yipasel ve'im k'shira tochal te'achel kechamor shabbat. So what happens? What does that mean? That if the chatat is is considered pasul, it's invalidated, then so too the chulin meat, the thing that was not kodesh yet, is also going to become pasul and the um, disqualified, in, invalidated. And likewise, if the sin offering is considered kasher, kosher, valid, then the chulin that touched any part of it, that can also be um, you eat it in accordance with the stringencies of, that are applied to the korban chatat. So that what happens is we now have a verse that's going to teach halachic details about the korban chatat, the same way that other verse of Mishrat teaches details about the foods that are combined for the sake of the prohibition of the or to, that the Nazir would violate, meaning both of these cases are their own individual cases and do not apply for them to the rest of the Torah. Now, we're going to finish up with the opinion of the Rabbanan, right? Because they disagreed with Rabbi Akiva to begin, to begin with, right? Rabbi Akiva, presumably, well, let's read inside. Rabbanan Tzichei. According to the Rabbanan, they would say that both of these sources are in fact necessary, meaning the case of the Nazir and the case of the Korban Chatat cannot be learned one from the other, right? Meaning you need them both to teach this point, each of their points. So that means then that you don't have Shnei Ketuvim Rabayin Kechad, according to Rabbanan, right? Rather, De'i Katav Rachmana Gabe Chatat Hav Amina Nazir Lo Atimine. So what happens? It says, had the Torah just had the verse of the chatat about the sin offering, then you might think that the nazir, that the case of the nazir could not be learned from it at all. Why? Because we, there's a principle that nazir, you don't derive, you can't derive the halachas of nazir from the halachas of kodesh, of, of mikachim, from, from consecrated items. That we just, we don't do that. Why? Because the all of the prohibitions that connect to the Nazir, they're not really connected to the temple. They're not really connected to the Korbanot or to the, the, the consecrated items, right? So why? how could you infer from one to the next? They're too far apart, according to this rationale. And likewise, or perhaps conversely, had the Torah written only about Nazir, the verse about the Nazir, and not about the Korban Chatat, you might think, that you cannot derive the halacha from the nazir, because it's such a stringent kind of prohibition where even a grape seed is prohibited to him, and therefore you would say you can't you can't derive anything from 
the case of the Nazir to the Korban Chatat in general. Therefore, so the therefore once according to Rabbana, not according to Rabbi Kiva, not according to the view of two psukim that teach the same thing, but the two psukim that are each of them necessary, um, then the presumption is that because we have the two of them, then we can, in fact, that we, we we turn it on its head and say we can derive the halachim from both of them. The Gemara goes on to bring us, you know, the presumption of what Rabbi Kiva would answer back or what the rabbis would answer back, and it goes back to the question of mishrat of these the substances being soaked. We're not done here. The Gemara is not done here. Um, the topic goes on, but we're done for the day. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's just interesting how, like, basically this whole top is, you know going through a variety of different sort of cases and wanting to look out for each viewpoint. How do you learn it from this? And if you're not going to learn it from this, what do you do with that other case? I mean, it's super thorough and detailed. But you know, Yordana, we've seen Gemaras that have been equally thorough and still a little more straightforward to be oh, able to line yeah, up the lines. Roundabout. This one is very, like I needed to, I need to chart this one. I needed all my fingers, right, to say, okay, here's Rabbi Kiva with the chnei, the, these two verses, this is Rabbanan with those two verses, right? Like, it's not simple, Gemara, this stuff. No, not at all. And But I do think every single case, every single pasuk, every single word has to be accounted for. You're not allowed to leave anything hanging. So if one person is willing to learn something from somewhere, then we assume the other side, right, the contrary side, also has to learn something from that word as well. Like, they're not really, you know, willing to just say, you know, uh, no to that. Like, it, everything has to be accounted for. Yeah, and I do love that interplay between this Torah Peh and that being the Torah Shabbatav, the psukim that are, you know, really carefully, I don't know what, annotated here. I just, again, it's, it's sometimes the Gemara lines itself up so beautifully that you don't even need to, you don't need your fingers, you don't need a chart because it's just there before you on the page. And this time it's there before it's on the page, but but it needs some elbow grease. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.